Hi, this is Amanda Dolan, and welcome to the Mental Society. Today we are joined by Sunita Alves. I know I'm going to mess that up again. Sunita Alves. Uh, she is the daughter of Indio Caribbean Canadian immigrants who spent her formative years testing limits and pushing boundaries. The culture that Sunita was born into judged a woman's worth on the man she married and the children she raised, not her accomplishments. Sunita's dreams of um, living a life without limitations became true when she was the first woman in her family to become an engineer. With her degree in engineering physics from McMaster University, Sunita optimi optimistically entered the tech industry, progressing from engineer to project manager to life coach. The pinnacle was achieving her dream job of blending teaching mindfulness, training coaches, and heading up a project to improve educational outcomes for Indigenous youth in Canada. She had it all, and then she experienced workplace stressors that eventually impacted her mental health and ability to work. Both literally, literally and figuratively heartbroken, she found a path to healing and finding peace. Uh, Sunita shares her journey in her book, Breakthrough, a memoir of toxic work, mindfulness, and inner peace. So thank you so much. That was a whole lot of but thank you. I, that's fascinating. Moving from engineering into mindfulness, because I think yeah. many of us don't think of engineering. Well, at least I don't. When I think of engineers, I think of like math and very black and white. Whereas mindfulness is is so much you can't see it or feel it, right? Right. Right. So that had to be a big shift, and it healed you in a lot of ways moving into that mindful place yes so it did um would you be willing to share a little bit about like those workplace stressors that kind of ended with you in this mindful meditation place sure sure and uh thanks amanda for having me on the show today i really appreciate um being able to share this it's something close to my heart for sure um so yeah, so I was working in uh, one of the biggest tech companies in Canada for a long time and doing um, leading uh, technical teams. Um, so a lot of uh, my engineering skills were just used in understanding the technology and bringing it to um, clients to improve their websites, networks, things like that, cybersecurity, that kind of stuff. And um, I found my way to mindfulness actually within the same workplace. So oh, wow. a lot of us, yeah, a lot of us, uh, quite a few of us, some of the leaders and we're a global company um, started to sort of feel like we couldn't really bring our humanity to the workplace. It was like um, yeah. a lot about, a lot about the numbers and, you know, things were getting tighter and tighter as the, as the um, um, financial markets got more, Mm -hmm. important and um you know we could all feel that stress rising and just around um i got into the mindfulness movement in my workplace around 2014 and it had started just a few years before where people started realizing you can bring meditation and mindfulness into the workplace to reduce right. um mental stress and, you know, Google was one of the um, probably the most famous companies for doing uh -huh. this. They, they had mindfulness training programs within the company. Our company didn't have anything like that. So we started a grassroots movement 
um, within within the company, just employees doing it on the side of their day job. And I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling really fulfilled at, at work. I, I was feeling stressed. It was just kind of, it, it was like the light got dimmer in the workplace, it became a darker, heavier place to work. Right. And, uh, you know, I sort of went to mindfulness like a thirsty person would be going to water. <laughs> I was just looking for something to make work feel better. And I think part of it was just having those, this community of people who were like, let's just close our eyes and do a body scan or do some mindful breathing mm -hmm. and just really feel that we are, we are human beings in the workplace. And, um, that's, that's how I, I ended up in it almost by accident. I just happened to come across on our internal website, mindfulness. I was like, what, just like you, what, what is that doing here? Yeah. And, you know, I became curious and, um, and joined it. And I think it was that mindfulness that helped me understand some of those stressors that I was just like, you know, they say when you're a fish in the water, you don't see the water. Right. Um, right. I was like, uh, you know, doing all of this work, feeling all of the stress, but I wasn't realizing they were, it was the stressors all around me in the environment in the, in, uh, you know, you breathing in that kind of uh, workplace was so common. I didn't see it, mm -hmm. but mindfulness allows you to see what's there in the moment. And I became more and more aware, um, I think, of these workplace stressors. And I think there's so much truth, like in, especially today with it's, you know, you've all go, go, go. You put up with all of the things, just do it. That, and it's almost like there's an expectation that there is going to be stress and discord among employees with their managers or with the other people that are their peers. Um, so for you, how did that play out? Did you, how was your, how were your relationships with your team and how did that impact your mental wellness? So it, it put me, and I think it put a lot of middle managers in, um, it puts us in a tough place because we have teams and we want to protect our team's well-being and right. we want them to be successful and we want them to feel like they're, you know, fulfilled at work and in a healthy way. But then we have demands coming down on us from up on above and um, you become that layer that uh, can, can overgive. Yes. beyond your point of resiliency and well-being so um honestly that's the, I think that's what happened to me I was such a giving leader I wanted to care and protect about my teams and um at the at the end there I was working with an indigenous school and they were going to be launched in September and I had met with all the principals I had met some of the students I had gone mm -hmm. on mentoring evenings with them I had bonded with them and so um, I became like, I was going to do anything to make that project successful, even if it drained me uh, too low, do you know? And I didn't yeah. um, do, I didn't have that awareness to say, I'm giving too much. My, my husband was telling me, my right. mom was telling me, everybody was telling me. And I was like, no, no, this work is so important. I can do it. I can do it. And um um, yeah, I can, I can get into some of the stressors and, and for sure, but, but yeah. You know, you I think what you're talking about too, is, is something that sometimes as women is also ingrained in us, the, yeah. like you have to do everything and saying no, 
means that you don't care about the project or love the person that you're saying no to or, or all of those things. And so, and when you're passionate about something, and like, sounds like you were passionate about this indigenous school. Yeah. It's even more difficult for us to say, oh, you know what? I don't have any more to give. That right? is, yeah, that is so true. And um, I'll, I'll share a little bit with how, how much I, I overgave. And I think, again, this is tied into being a woman and, and taking care yeah. of things and um, just putting yourself last and wanting everybody else to be first. So I had a, I had a terrible um, accident, I think, that was caused by workplace stress. I had what they called uh, one night at 3 a.m. I had not been sleeping and I hadn't been eating and digesting my food well for weeks. And I think a lot of people um, can find that sleep and, and digestion are impacted by stress right. in, in general, right? But I just kept working and working. And then one night um, I was at 3 a.m. I got up and I wasn't feeling well. My stomach was queasy. I went down to make a cup of tea and then I, I didn't feel good. And um, I went to the bathroom and so everybody else was sleeping in the house. And I had what they called um, a vasovagal uh, event where yeah. um, my heart stopped sending blood to my head. And uh, I was, um, you, you know, on blood. the Yeah, you need blood. That head, brain needs blood. Uh, and the problem was, I was, even though I was sitting down in the toilet, I, f I fainted. But I fainted in such a way that I fell forward and hit my head on the counter. Oh, wow. And I got a concussion and I passed out uh, face down on the floor. Um, That's terrifying. It was terrifying. And I mean, I didn't know because I passed out. But then when I came to, I didn't I didn't know how I got there. But all I saw was um, vomit and blood. And I thought I had vomited all the blood. So I thought I was going to die right there. I thought that yeah. was it. I, I had just like all of this just came out of me. This is not right. I'm going to die. I didn't realize the blood was coming from a cut on my head. I... Because I was disoriented from the concussion as well. Right. So right. I. Yeah. So I. um. All I remembered was in that moment that I had to speak to my husband before I died. That I did not want him waking up in the morning and my daughter was going swimming at 4 a.m. I knew that they would start getting up to go and I didn't want them coming down and finding me like this and I had to say goodbye. So I just started yelling for him to come mm -hmm. and he did. Anyway, he, he got me to the ER and um, after taking a week off work, because of the concussion, they said no computer, right, no, screen, no reading. Yeah. yeah, I went right back. <laughs> I did not connect these dots. And then um, follow up, they I went to see a, a heart uh, specialist and said you have high blood pressure. And then uh, talking to my doctor more and more, she said you have depression. And she said I'm going to put you on a sick leave. And while I was off work for two weeks, my depression got better and my blood pressure got better in just two weeks of being away from the work. And, and yeah, can you believe that? It's awesome. And it, in a lot of ways, it doesn't surprise me because our mental health and our, you know, stress impacts our physical health so much, which is why we really can't separate the two. No. And this is like, literally, my heart was speaking up to me. It was saying, um, yeah, we can't send blood to your brain. Uh, we're going to pass out we're gonna have high blood pressure you're gonna you're gonna I felt this huge sadness like this almost like 
I could not make the situation be fixed. And as an engineer and a, a can do or a type, I like to fix everything. And, but I knew I, this was beyond. So I was felt so uh, out of control. I was um, in depression and it was my heart telling me like something's not right here. And I still went back to work because I was so committed. And uh, finally um, I was driving to the school and I almost had an accident on the highway. And that's when I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. This is not good for my family. And to your point, I went straight to the principal's office at the school. I started crying and I said, I, I can't be here anymore. I don't know what's going to happen with the school's launch. And I'm so sorry. And I'm suffering greatly. And I'm like in tears because I can't help. And he was uh, such a compassionate man. And he said, Sunita, you have to take care of yourself first. Your family needs you. We're going to be fine. And as soon as he gave me that okay, then I just, I left work for good, knowing I could probably never go back to that workplace. And I think that's okay to leave when when it's time. And for you, yeah. I mean, you were on the bathroom floor bleeding because <laughs> of the, the stress that, yeah. you know, was being caused on your body by the stress at work. It, yeah, it's so connected. And something I, you know, I mentioned to you before was I, I found the study from um, that the University of Chicago put out in the middle of the pandemic, and its numbers are from before the pandemic. So I think these numbers are probably different now. But when companies invest in the mental health and the mental well-being of their employees, they see quite a return on investment. However, at about the same time period, just a few years earlier any investment into wellness programs, you know, those like how to help you quit smoking or keep more active by giving you a pedometer, those had no significant impact on healthcare spending, other measures of health, employment outcomes, nothing. Um, and I think that that speaks so much to our brains. If we get our brains in good working order, everything else sort of falls into place. And um, so when you work with clients who are trying to get, you know, in that place of reducing their stress, being more mindful, what are some of the techniques that you and, and your clients use to, to reduce that stress and ick in the um, workplace? Um, I think one of the most important things I, I found is to acknowledge the truth. Um, is to speak the truth. I found that when I um, was able to, even after my illness and, and trying to leave that workplace, I found a great relief whenever I could speak the truth, whenever I could talk to a counselor or talk to a coworker, uh, even the, I had to write a statement to the health insurance company because you have to, um, you have to get approved to be on a mental health disability leave. Right. You can just can't go on one, even though my doctor said I couldn't work the, the workplace and the life insurance company who would pay my salary while I wasn't working. They had to say, you know, right. yeah, you're unfit to work. So they sent me this application and I had to write um, what was going on in the workplace that prevented me from being able to go back to work. And I wrote everything out. Um, I wrote all of the things that were happening from a dysfunctional power perspective in the workplace, uh, some of the lies that they were telling that um, I couldn't literally stomach 
right? Yeah, literally. I mean, literally, I vomited that night. Um, and some of the um, harassment and bullying that was going on, wrote it all out. It was like five mm -hmm. pages. And I felt so good after I wrote that out. It was like amazing. Like I felt uh, the depression lift a little bit. So I would say if you could have a, um, a community or, you know, sometimes workplaces have uh, programs where you can get access to a counselor. Mm -hmm. They have like a life, life, um, yeah, you know, helpline or a... yeah, exactly. So if you can find a safe person in the workplace or in your uh, trusted community outside the workplace or um, a mental health professional to just say, this is what I'm going through and have that person listen with compassion yeah. and um, listen to you. I think that's the first step is saying, yeah, this hurts. This sucks. I'm suffering. And then from there... Um, there's a lot of mindfulness and self-compassion techniques that you can do as well. Yeah, it's, there's so much in just getting it out. Yes. Here, whether it's through journaling or talking to someone, just period, getting whatever it is out helps. And I think, well, I don't love the idea always of like a commiserating as in like, you know, both being, oh my gosh, it's the worst, right? But having someone that supports you and that could be a therapist or a coach or a coworker who, you know, even says something like, man, it must really suck to work there right now. Or yes. gosh, it's no wonder that you, your body was reacting with all of those things happening at work. And also sometimes that just validation it's validation. And I think, I think what I struggled with, it's, um, I, I don't know if gaslighting is the right word, but there's a huge campaign by the workplace that they care about the employee. It's everywhere. It's in the values. They, they have awards for it. They say, you know, we were voted the best workplace to work. Right. It's, it's, it's like, it's a campaign. This says like, you know, we're really great. There's nothing wrong in this right. house. Right. So now you're the person saying, I, I feel there's something really wrong here. I see a lot of wrongdoing. I see people acting unethically. I see us working against those values that you say that are, I use the open door. I talk to HR and it, it, it didn't go anywhere. So you see this disconnect with what they're saying and what they're doing. And then you think, am I crazy? Am I making it up? Um, so part of that talking is for somebody else outside of your, and if you have a mental health issue, your mind's not working properly, right. right? So I use my mind to work. I use my analytical skills. I use my communication skills. That's how I make my living. But my mind was sick and I didn't know it was sick. So I'm like walking around this haze and I'm like, I don't know. So I think if, if your mind is not well, you need to talk to somebody whose mind is well, because they will help you see more clearly than you are able to on your own. And I think that like that is the key is someone else whose mind is well, because yes. like I said, it can be so easy. I mean, I, I think about even like, you know, my girlfriends who, oh my gosh, my husband is the worst. And then um, mine too. And oh yeah, can you believe? And then all you end up doing is maybe not complaining, but you know, all the bad stuff. And yeah. Well, yeah, it feels great to get that out. Sometimes you leave just more keyed up and like angry instead of that, like I got it out and I, it's gone. Like I, you know, 
because it's yeah. like, yeah. my, you know, my partner is a jerk and here's what he did. But if you've got someone like, oh yeah, can you believe he did that? And he's the worst. And why don't you leave him versus yeah. Sounds like he's being a jerk and that's it. Right. There's yeah. two different ways. There's of two different energies you're talking about there. And I, I really think when compassion is there and um, that real human connection of listening mm-hmm. versus telling, I think that's the zone you want to be in. That's the kind of conversation mm-hmm. you want to be in. It's not one where there is, um, you know, these quick judgments or these uh, surface kind of mm-hmm. connections. Yeah. The, the listening and being heard, I think is so key. Yeah. Um, you know, I think so many of us, when we're having conversations, especially ones that are difficult or where we're feeling any kind of conflict, we are thinking about how we're going to respond. So we're not actually hearing what the other person is saying. Yes. And, and I sometimes feel like, and in my experience and, and with my clients and friends, it often seems like when they talk to their managers or their higher ups, that they're trying to figure out how they're going to respond to protect the company instead of taking a deep breath, listening to what you say, and then figuring out what's going on. Right. Is it it something that, because maybe it's something, I mean, who knows? It could be something as simple as I need one more five minute break to walk around the building. And that's all I need. Like I just need to get out for a little bit because I need sun. Exactly. But if your boss doesn't listen and instead is trying to, or anyone trying to figure out how they're going to respond to, you know, mitigate damages or even if there's no damages to mitigate, right? Yeah. Then you don't feel heard. You don't feel respected. And immediately you're on the defensive. Your mental health is impacted. Then all of a sudden, like, it's even worse than it was before. And, you know, like I said, I think, like, I always have a couple thoughts. I worked in HR for a while and I've always said it's, you know, it's more expensive to onboard someone, right? Like it's it's between the, you know, hiring process, finding someone, bringing them on, getting all the things set up, the training, right? Like it's expensive. So when companies take care of their employees, saves them money and, and the employees want to be at work there. It's not that just public campaign of we're the best, whatever, right? right? It's a real thing. And, and so, you know, it's, I love that solid communication and listening and just having a, someone to bounce all of it. Yeah. You know, off of. Um, and so I wonder if we could just talk for like a minute about the differences kind of between men and women to like, in your experience in the workplace, how do you feel like you, like you're being a woman and a minority impacted your level of stress in the workplace? I think, I think, um, as a woman, I, I, probably gave way too much to the workplace and here's the stupid this I was stupid here's the silly thing I knew I was over giving and I still did it 
it was um, for many years until, especially in my 20s and 30s, it wasn't until my late 30s that I started having the confidence of saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. So if it was, um, I remember distinctly one time I was in a, in a meeting and uh, our head of our team, who's a man, he was standing at the front of the room and he was telling the client, we're going to get the work done by the date they want it. Right. So he was just saying, mm -hmm. yes, no problem. But I knew that because of my project management training, that schedule was impossible. It was just a fairy tale. And so um, I had to decide, you know, I'm sitting in the room. Am I going to, if I say nothing, then I'm complicit in this lie to a client. And that just went against my integrity. Um, a hundred percent like it I wasn't doing. so um and I was told not to contradict him in the meeting so I had raised my wrists internally my objections and I was told just you know what you be quiet and he's going to lead and I'm like we're lying and so I I didn't I didn't have the confidence to stand and say anything but I had the confidence to stand and walk out of the meeting and that alone was a statement it led yes right let the client know she who we respect and trust doesn't believe in this plan right but he on the stage who you know we we don't really know if we could trust him mm -hmm. right is telling us everything's going to work out and they already know that's a red flag right because it's it's just so that impacted um i know that impacted my career like it, it put a black mark on me um i you know i was told in my year-end review that you know I wasn't a team player, um, but I, I, mm. I like think it was just a woman saying something different than the man was saying. And I was, you know, not taken as and, clout. And like, yes. And that makes sense because I think as women, it's automatically and not, I think it's shifting, but it's all automatically she's aggressive and not assertive. Yeah. Right. Like it's those sorts of or too emotional. Um, I'm like, sure I was too emotional, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I, I don't know about you. I cry when I get angry. I cry. Like it just it's a physical manifestation of my anger. Yeah. So I'm sure that that happens, and people, oh, she's, you know, she can't control her emotions or or all of those things. But I want to highlight before we and one thing that that you've brought up several times was your values. Yeah. That when your values were misaligned that was really when like the hardest, like, or the stuff the I had to do the most was, was, were those, I felt like we were lying. I felt like, you know, these things weren't being honored that these were, you know, we were saying one thing, doing another. And I think it's something that I work with, with other people, but our values are so important and, and standing up for those, really is good for your mental well-being yeah. because then you're in alignment. You don't feel that internal conflict that makes you feel icky. And so, you know, before we, and I think that, you know, what you've talked about where being open and honest with somebody and having someone that you can talk to saying no, understanding your limitations. Right. And then also right. stand like understanding that your values are important to you and that honoring them even if they go against your workplace, that means that you leave the workplace then might be better long-term, but 
we also have to consider the finances of it. And so I'm not yeah. saying just like go out and jump ship and leave. <laughs> no, I like create a plan and be aware of how, you know, your your wellness, your overall health is being impacted by the expectations of you, not just at work, but at home too. And yeah. Um, yes. Same Especially time. if work is asking you to like many times I gave up time with my kids and that was against my values. Right. So I'm in conflict. I'm like, I got to make a living and I want to be a good mom. Like that's such a stressful place. And um, I think Amanda, you brought up mental well-being and physical well-being right that we can't just mm -hmm. we get more return on investment when we help someone feel mentally healthy mm -hmm. than yeah. just focusing on their physical health and um I, I i know there was there's a saying i always remember and it was from one of these commissions that studied um the economic impact of mental health in the world and it costs trillions of dollars around the world when employees can't go to work right trillions and so their their quote that i always remember is without mental health there is no physical health yes it's the basic right I, but yeah yeah i feel like i want to use that for all of the things yes um, it's such a compact statement but um and it speaks volumes in that one sentence. Um, it does. And that is so much of like why I do this is because our society, like our overall well-being is improved when our mental health is improved. I think it takes the strain off of a lot of the, you know, police and hospitals and school counselors. Diabetes, and cancer, all oh. of these things can be outcomes of mental health and stress, mental and, and depression, especially depression. So I think like, it's important to note that that depression isn't always diagnosable as in major depression that needs medication, right. right? It can also just be that situational depression that might come from losing a loved one or the end of a relationship yeah. or you know, there's a million different things. Workplace, which is what yeah. was my diagnosis was situational depression because it w lifted away when I um, was able to, um, you know, uh, deal with the truth, find mindfulness, find compassion and, um, you know, get to the, get to the, to the problem that was uh, really breaking my heart. And once I he healed that, then the depression went away. So it wasn't my brain chemistry um, because it lifted within three months. And then there's someone like me who, you know, I have bipolar and I will have that for the rest of my life. And I'm okay with that. Like it's my brain chemistry doesn't work the right way, but it's no different, you know, than someone with type one diabetes, right. Who right. their body does not produce insulin. Now yet there are different parts of the body and the treatment's different. Right. And, you know, one may argue, right. Like no insulin means well, they're going to die. I would argue that without my medication for my bipolar, without my treatment, I would die. Like, right. it's, you know, it, it you, is. It's a, it's, it's the condition for which your illness would, um, would, would be, would take, would take over right. your well being, Right. And so for me, and you touched on it and I'm just putting this together as we're chatting is it's my values and integrity. Whenever I have to lie or misrepresent my, my, my work in my workplace to a client, 
because I don't do that in my personal life, but often in a client a situation, I will have to lie. That's the trigger for when I would get depressed because I, I am prone to it more. Like if I'm in the wrong situation, I know I will get depressed. So that's what I do. I, I tell the truth. I stand up. I acknowledge and, um, you know, and, that helps me. Right, and so now that you know that that is what gets in your, in your way, like in your brain's way and in your yeah. mental health, you can avoid that and you are aware. Right? It's, it's an awareness. And again, sometimes having those conversations with others can help you get that awareness as well. It, it definitely <laughs> can. Uh, yeah. And, and we didn't we didn't touch on this, but um, part of my research that I found uh, was that there are 13 factors for psychological safety in the workplace oh, that yeah. the Canadian Safety Association, um, uh, the CSA standard for mental health, uh, it was developed in Canada, um, I think with partnership with a country in, in Europe, but they came out with this in 2013 and they updated in 2018. But um, if you look at these 13 factors, what they are saying from the research is that if you don't have these factors in the workplace, and one of them, for example, is uh, workload management, um, where you have too much workload. If you, if you don't have these, then you're at, you don't have psychological safety in the workplace. And if you don't have enough psychological safety, then your mental health could be impacted. And then if we connect that last dot, then your physical health could be impacted. So 13 factors. They've been researched. They're out there. Um, I can share the link with yeah, you. Yeah. And then we'll put that in your show notes. When, yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. and that makes so much sense that, you know, like the time, not just time management, but work management, because you can be the most efficient manager of time. But if that project cannot actually, like, logistically get in that, that time, Right. You're going to, your boss is going to be upset with you. The client might be upset with you. You're stressed because you're working your tail off. And then at the end of the day, you're just burnt out and your blood pressure is going up. And all of a sudden, right, you're on the bathroom floor bleeding and like yes. with a concussion, right? I mean, it, it may not be that, and, different, but it's, uh, yeah. And there are, um, I think there's a lot of studies showing that doctors are at very high risk of suicide, again, because they can't do all the work in the in the day that they have, uh, and other factors. But yeah. um, there are some professions that are very heavy on workload that are more prone to suicide than other professions. And that, yeah, and I'm wondering too, like the doctor piece too, not just workload, but I'm wondering if there is this feeling of, I have to do all of this. If I don't save this person's life, I'm a failure, you know, like, and, and not just for doctors, but even, you know, I think firefighters also have yeah. higher rates of suicide, yeah. which again, might come more from the response, the heavy responsibility. The heavy, yeah. Job. Yeah. Well, because if, I mean, heck, I can, some days I'm like, I can barely keep myself, my dogs and my kids alive. Um, much less like be willing to risk my life to help keep someone else alive. That's a lot to ask of someone. That uh, is a lot. Yeah. So this stress really does uh, impact our, our, it impacts so much. So it's better to just see it. And once you see something, you can manage it. 
But if you don't see it, you know, you, you, you let it permeate your life like I did for years and years. And so one of the things like that you mentioned too was your family was saying, hey, you need to like slow down. And you said, no, I've got this, but but you didn't. And the people you loved, they wanted the best for you, right? They, yes. wanted, they wanted you around. They um, wanted not me just, around. Not just not at work around, but like to live and be alive around. And so yeah. I think that that's another piece of this support system, yes. right? Having somebody that you can talk to, but also those people that are like, hey, Sunita, if you're working too much, slow down. Depending on who that's coming from, it's probably worth listening to from just about oh, yeah. anyone. Um, and again, it doesn't mean you immediately slow down, but like you said, take a, a step back, evaluate the situation and really see what's going on. And then you can decide where you're going to take a yeah. step back from or... Maybe it's not even that you need to take a step back from the work. It's that you need a different manager or a different role or. Yeah. There's so many solutions, right? And you just, um, you, if you, if you just pause and become mindful, what's going on, what are my options? And you, you know, again, if you're in a depression, like I was, your mind's not going to be clear. So, right. you know, people are telling me to stop working, but my mind's saying, no, no, um, you have to do it. But that wasn't, that wasn't a, uh, yeah, it wasn't a, a rational thought at the time, but I believed it. Yeah. And, and not to, to make this about me at all, but I know that when I was super, like when I was in my suicidal ideation, like when I was ready, yeah, I told myself the lie of the world is better off without me. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can also tell ourselves the lie of no one else can do this, but me. We can tell ourselves a lot of lies and yeah, those are two big, big ones. And there are things that no one else can do but you. But most things, like I hate to be like, you're not that special. You like, <laughs> but but like what makes people special and unique is the ability to say, this isn't my gift, but it's yours. So I'm going to lean on you for this. But this is my gift. So when you need help with that, I'll show yeah, and you. You can take your foot off the gas a little. You can take a break. You can take the weekend off. You can, you can not work when you go on that week of vacation. Like there's so many levers you could pull where you're not like um, letting people down. And then, and I would argue like, what is letting people down? Yeah. And Very good. are you, have they told you you're letting them down or have you told yourself that you're letting them down? Because if you're telling yourself that you're letting them down, then you're probably not actually letting them down. They never said that. If anything, they would say, you know, uh, my husband would say, um, you're, you're, you're not here for your family or, you know, even he was going through, he'd say, I remember him saying clearly, we're coming home and we're shells of people for our children. They're getting the leftovers of us. Yeah. And right. And so we knew it up here but, but how do you implement it, that when yes. you have to pay, when you've got a job that de- that you believe depends on you for everything? Yeah. And what, like, when I talk to people, I like to remind them that if somebody's getting upset with you for saying no, then it's probably someone that you don't really care if they're upset with you. Now, right. like, obviously, workplace can be a little different, but 
But if it's stuff in your, your personal life, like for me, I finally said no to the PTA. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know if what. Yes. Yeah. We have the same thing in yeah. Canada, but, um, I was of the mindset. No one else could do this and nobody stepped up to do it. And so I just fine, I'll do it. And I said, no. And let me tell you that one of the most beautiful things happened. I said, I know I said, I do this for the whole year. We are in November. We're only a few months in the school year and I'm burnt out already. Like I cannot do this with everything else going on. This is going to be my last month. I will have everything together for whoever steps into that role. And a new parent who hadn't been there for the previous election that was held in the spring jumped right into that role. And not the next school year, but the school year after that, she was the PTA president and she was you know, working with the school district in other ways. And so if I hadn't stepped back out of, like, if I hadn't stepped away from something that was not bringing me joy, mm-hmm. then that woman would not have had that opportunity right, to step into that role and probably help more efficiently, effectively with more, you know, excitement then I was showing up with because she wanted to be there. She was aligned. And, yes. And for me, it was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And so I think too, like we need to remind ourselves that sometimes saying no opens up an opportunity for someone else. And so I think for me, when I think of my values right that way, yeah, yeah I can sit in that and it feels great. So um, I just love this. Like really, at the end of the day, what we've talked about, really, I'm hearing honor your values, have a solid support system that you can communicate with and listen to your body and your people. Cause they'll tell you you things that maybe your own brain won't tell you. Right. right. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your experience and, and how mindfulness really changed and maybe saved your life. Right. With, you know, yeah, I think it did. Like mental health and, and doing all of that takes care of all of it. Our whole well-being, physical, mental, emotional, and relationships. Yes. So. Yeah, and when you're living your values and you're aligned, like you said, when you backed out of the PTA, um, I feel like things work out. I have a positivity and optimism that when you're aligned with your values and for you it was stepping away and that woman could step in, then good things happen. And it, you know, um, yes. So I, my belief. And and now like, now that I've had that experience, it's like, oh, like, yeah, I'm going to say no more. Yeah. And what I'm really, but when I say no, what I'm really saying is yes to myself and my family. Yeah. And yes. if I'm not good and my family's not good, then the rest just doesn't matter. So Yeah. Like that saying no is okay. And listening to what you value and what matters the most to you right now. And that's going to shift. Like right when you have right. children, that changes. When you get married, that changes. Totally. Like, there's all those things. So yeah, it's um just thank you for this conversation and, and sharing more about you know the way that mental health has shown up in your world, especially from a, this high functioning engineer place. And I don't often think of as a place where <laughs> mindfulness, meditation, and 
mental health awareness show up often. So thank you for showing me that it does show up in all of the places, even when I don't notice it. Well, thank you, Amanda. It's been an absolute honor to be your guest today and to have this conversation and, and connect with you. And, and I think a topic that's dear to both of us. Thank you yes. so much. I so appreciate you for joining me. I'm going to include um, links to how to get in touch with Sunita in the comments, um, in the show notes, as well as I will find um, or get that link to those yeah. 13 factors. Uh, I'm also going to link the um, studies that I talked about with the University of Chicago um, there too. So you can take a look at them uh, when you get some time. Uh, and also there's a really great calculator on there. So if you're just curious about your company, you can put in the state and the type of business it is and the number of employees. And it could tell you at home what your company is spending on not caring for the mental health of the people that work there. And trust me, the number is going to shock you. So with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out, open up a conversation and discover how mental health is being impacted in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society where you find your favorite podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. If you're looking for additional resources and articles, you can check out our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.